0: Our passage today is Genesis 4, 1 through 26, it's the story of Cain and Abel, and then Seth, who God appointed to take the place of Abel, whom Cain slew. It's an important story, it's given the same amount of scripture space as Moses gives to the creation account itself, so there's much to be learned in this passage We're going to learn about two brothers, two cities, and two loves. So let's ask the Lord to bless us before we look into the text. Father, we thank you for your Spirit who illumines our hearts, who opens our eyes to see our Savior in the written word. We thank you for these oracles that are given to us that are holy. And inerrant and inspired. We pray, Father, that you would grant us the grace to understand them and to see our precious Lord of whom they speak. Be with us this morning for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to be talking this morning a lot about the city because we're told in Scripture that Cain builds the first city. But actually, by way of background, you have to know that the city is eternal in Scripture. There is a city before Cain builds his. It's the city that God promises Adam and Eve he will build for them. They will achieve it. They will gain it by way of inheritance. They look for it. The author of Hebrews tells us that the Ancients, beginning with Abel, certainly Adam, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and all of the patriarchs were looking for that heavenly city. It's called a heavenly country whose builder and architect is God himself. They lived this life in earthly cities. In the Bible, there are many cities. Augustine called them the cities of men. And they are, all of them, wicked. There is the city that Cain builds that we will look at today to see its character. There was the city of Babel and its tower of pride. There was the city of Sodom and its wickedness before God. The righteous never build cities in the Bible unless they're in bondage as they were Israel to Pharaoh, and built Python and Ramses, treasure cities, for a wicked king. There were the cities in the land of inheritance. There was Jericho walled up against God and his people. Only for a brief time is Jerusalem looked at as the city of God when David takes it, but very quickly it apostatizes into utter wickedness. So the cities of men... The people of God live, the world in which we live is fallen, and we see its character. But the people of God are identified as the ones who are looking for the city that God has promised. We want to look into that. Augustine said there are two loves. The city of man is based upon the love of self, even to the despising of God. We will see that. The city of God is built upon a love of God, even to the despising of self. We will see that as well. How do we live in these earthly cities? How do we live with this hope of heaven? Paul tells us our citizenship is in heaven. But how do we live here? Jeremiah told the people of God who were carried into captivity. Seek the peace of the city. Seek the peace even of Babylon. Be salt and light. That's the most patriotic duty we can do. And as I looked afresh at this passage, it was striking to me how much this Canaanite city has corrupted itself in our own day. I'm often asked, are these the in times, people have a sense, don't they, there's kind of a growing anxiety that things are off the rails. And I found myself asked that more frequently in the last some years. And the answer the best answer I can give is that I don't know. I don't know when Christ is returning. I have no idea. Nineveh was a wicked city. Nineveh was 40 days away from being utterly destroyed by God. But he sent a prophet there and a revival ensued and Nineveh endured for another 150 years. So we can pray for our country as well, can't we? I don't know what God's times are, but we can see what kind of a city it is that he brings judgment to. And perhaps this will sober you and encourage you to live in light of the heavenly realities. the best thing we can do for our beloved America. Genesis four: 1 to26. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore a son called Cain. Cain is the name of nobility. It's related to, she created, she bore. And she said of this son, I have gotten a man, the text that you're using typically says, with the help of the Lord. Now, it can mean that she can be saying, I've had a male child. She knows the prophecy of the seed of the woman. But grammatically, it can also mean, I have gotten a man, even the Lord. That is, she could have thought, it is possible. That she could have thought that this child was the seed of the woman that would redeem the world. But in any event, she bore again. She bore his brother, Abel. And she gives Cain a name of nobility, but Abel, when she sees she has another son, she begins to recognize perhaps that this is going to be a long process before the seed of the woman comes. And so she gives him a name, Abel, means vanity. Hevel in Hebrew. It's the same word, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon will sing. It's Abel of Abel, all is Abel. So the son that she disregards, however, is the one who truly loves God. This her firstborn, Cain, John tells us, he is of the seed of the devil. Very striking. That seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman will be human, will have a human face. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. They've grown now to maturity, and there are other children around. We're told Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters, so the human family is expanding. It's at least about 130 years after the expulsion from Eden. Abel is an adult, he's a keeper of sheep, Cain is a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Both are proper offerings. You can bring an offering of fruit in the Bible, a mincha. But never before you bring a sacrifice of blood. For the spilling of blood unto death is the only thing that will remit sin. Abel brings his offering. There's a difference in character. Cain brings of the fruit of the ground, but Abel's offering is different. He brings the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. He offers the very best. What's the difference? Cain brings his sacrifice, but not his heart. Abel brings his sacrifice and his heart. He comes in faith. And so the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. There was no sacrifice that was accepted. So Cain became very angry. Anger is always the passion that is the response to a perceived injustice. Cain thinks God has been unjust. Why didn't he accept my sacrifice? And so he's angry. His countenance falls. He's very angry. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He warns him. You'll be accepted if you do well, if you seek repentance and offer an appropriate sacrifice. But if you do not do well, that sin that is working in you is crouching at the door. That verb is the verb that's used of a lion that's about to pounce on its prey. And see how sin is advancing in the human family. In the chapter before, sin came in through a serpent craftily. Now, sin has become that principle of disobedience that works in man, has become like a rapacious lion, ready to devour. And man is charged with ruling over the beast. Sin is crouching at the door, the Lord says to Cain. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it, or it will consume you. Now now we read what happened. It's amazing, isn't it? Cain was speaking with God. No question he knew God. But just to know with God, not even, and even to speak with God is not saving faith, is it? Cain spoke now to Abel his brother. John the evangelist in his little letter tells us that Cain was jealous of Abel because his sacrifice was accepted. He speaks to his brother. That's what the Hebrew says. The versions tend to want to fill it out. What does he say? It's not told, but I think what's implied is he speaks to him as a brother, familiarly, like a friend. And he entices him out into the field. That is, where no one else is around to intervene. It's premeditated, or as we say, it's cold blood. He entices him out to the field. Where the beasts are, the serpent and the lion are called the beasts of the field. This beast is Cain, and he rises up against his brother and kills him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? The Lord is not asking for information. He's bringing Cain to an awareness of the crime he's done. Where is Abel, your brother? It's not just a murder, it's a fratricide. And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Can you imagine the boldness of that? To lie to the omniscient God. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that, of course, is yes. Yes. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. That's interesting. The author of Hebrews takes this as an evidence of resurrection. Because Abel's life continues on and his innocent blood cries out for justice. Which is his right. His life is not extinguished in death. But now his blood awaits for God to vindicate him in justice. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now God says you are cursed from the ground. That was his strength he brought. He was the cultivator of the ground. But now he's cursed. God did not curse Adam and Eve. He cursed the ground for their sake. But he did not curse them. Now Cain is cursed. You're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. The earth itself will take vengeance. And all the line of Cain, none of them excel in agriculture, by the way, although they excel in all the other arts. so. And he says, you will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth because he has blood guilt upon him. And any one of Abel's brothers or sisters is entitled to blood vengeance. So Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. See how sin is warping his categories. He is saying to God, you are unjust. This penalty is too severe. The one who is justice, he says that to the Lord. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. He recognizes his sin is discovered, and now he is subject to blood guilt. So the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should strike him. God had said there would be a quarrel, the history of redemption, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And for that quarrel to work its way out to our redemption, God must protect the wicked as well as the just. So he protects Cain, but not to his salvation. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. My goodness. His whole life will be lived as though there is no God. How about us? Is the Lord preeminent in our thinking, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday too? Do we live in the sweet presence of God? The psalmist says, the nearness of God is my joy. Is he your joy? His presence is... He went out from the presence of the Lord. That's used of Judas, remember? Who leaves that Last Supper. Jesus tells him, What you do, do quickly. He commands him to leave because he's about to implement the supper. He's fencing the table. Judas leaves. John tells us he shuts the door. Christ is the door. And it's nighttime. He's left the light of the world to go into his utter darkness. It's life without Christ. So Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. This is the life of unbelief. Nod means wandering. And he settles in the land of wandering. What does that mean? It's contradictory. The life of unbelief is ultimately contradictory. Contradictory. The Old Testament poet speaks about those who dwell, who live in the land of the shadow of death. What kind of a life is that? Paul talks about the wanton woman. All she lives for is pleasure in this life. And he said she's dead, though she lives. It's the nature of unbelief to live in these contradictions. So he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. The name Enoch is one you know. It's Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Founding, Hanak. He founds a city. So the when here is not temporal. It should be translated, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Then he built a city, and he called the name of the city after the name of his son, He builds a city, he's abandoned God, so his only community will be the community that he generates himself. So his son is born, so he founds a city that represents the community of man. But that too is contradictory, isn't it? Here is a city that represents the community, the fellowship of mankind, and it's founded by a man who murdered his brother. Deeply ironic. And that's characteristic. The ancients told us that the cities, all the cities and countries, are founded in crime. It's very interesting. Sparta was founded by Lycurgus after he killed his king. Athens was founded by Theseus, who killed his father. Rome was founded by two brothers, one of whom killed the other. Augustine saw continuity in that. The cities of men, when you found something new, it does violence to that which went before. So there's something inherently amiss in the cities of men. So here is this man building a city representing the community of man who kills his brother. What community is that? who dwells in the land of wandering. Now we're told about the generations of the line of Cain until the flood. At the flood of Noah, this whole line is wiped out. God brings great judgment against it. But watch how it develops. To Enoch was born Erid, and Erid fathered Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Lamech seems to be the one in the generation before the flood. That last generation is Tuval Cain. And then the line ends. But Moses focuses on Lamech just before the flood, when we're told the world was filled with violence and wicked men. Lamech, we're told, took two wives Adam had 1, Lamech will have 2. Just before God sends the great judgment of the flood, listen to me. Marriage itself was redefined. That is what God intended from the very beginning. It was reimagined different horizons. Lamech took 2 wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So property and culture is developing. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe, wind instruments and percussive instruments. They have culture. They have songs. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. By the way, this is really an advanced technology. Iron is very late in its development. But you see, this is a world where people live for hundreds of years and have many, many children. And so it grows quickly and spreads all over the world and advances technologically far more than we can imagine. We take... 20, 30 years to train an Einstein and have him for 50 years. They would train a technician and have him for 500 years. Our scientific and technological advance is hindered by our many languages. Scientific journals have to be translated. It hinders the advance of technology because technology ultimately is amoral. This culture developed in ways that I think we could only imagine, and fast, and it grew in wickedness, too. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. So we're told about these three brothers. They have this interesting similarity of name, Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal. Much like our custom, sometimes we will have our children with the same letter, don't we, or same sound. There's very human character to this. But what Moses chooses to do to describe the generation before God brought judgment, when he wants to illustrate that, he doesn't say how utterly wicked they were. He says that in chapter six. But he preserves for us one of their songs. Isn't that interesting? This is their poetry, this is their music. Here is a song of one of their heroes from this world just before the generation when God destroyed it. Here is the song. Lamech said to his wives, his poetry, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. See, it begins with his disobedience. He's celebrating. I have killed a man for wounding me. Now, it's not a young man in the next verse. That's a mistake. There's a Hebrew word for young man. It's not here. This word is the word child. It looks to his birth, Yelod. I have killed a man for wounding me, a child for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's, mine, is seventy-sevenfold. That's the song. It's all Moses does, and he's done. He draws the curtain over that line of Cain. Ada and Zillah hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. He's singing this to his wives. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. Now the law says wounding for wounding. That's justice. It puts a restraint on what is Just. There's no restraint here. No restraint with this man who appoints himself to take two wives. Here, if a man wounds him, he will kill him. That's utterly wicked. I've killed a child for striking at me. My goodness, think of that. He doesn't hesitate to sing and celebrate the slaughter of children. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, this man of excess says, I will be avenged seventy-sevenfold. Now, this is his music. And it's totally dedicated to violence and the degradation of wives and children. Does that have any echo with you? It's dedicated to a redefinition of marriage, and it's dedicated to the slaughter of young children. That's the character of the city of man before God brings great judgment. So Moses is done, he's shown you what the city of man is like apart from God. So what will God do? There is only the seed of the serpent now. What about that seed of the promise of the seed of the woman, Abel, is destroyed? And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So that's what this grieving mother does, Seth. But through Seth will come the seed of the world, whose great work will be building the city of God. To Seth also a son was born. So Cain had a son and built a city. Now Seth will have a son, and you would expect to read that he will build a city. But that's not what you read. That's the point. Seth doesn't build a city. What does he do instead of building a city? To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. It's a word of weakness. He knows he needs a redeemer. At that time, people began to do what? The righteous line? Instead of building a city, they began to call upon the name of the Lord. The Krav Anai. It's the word for worship in the Old Testament. The righteous have a vision of a city they will inherit one day, whose architect and builder is God, a new country, a heavenly country. So they dwell on earth as strangers and pilgrims. They seek the peace of the earthly city. They live as citizens whose city is above, like Paul says. Your citizenship is in heaven. The most patriotic thing you can do is to seek the peace of the city, to be salt and light, and to build the community of worship that gives a vision to the community of a place where women are honored, marriage is honored, God's institutions are lifted up, the lives of children are precious, families are important the most patriotic thing you can do is to live at salt and light because where is America today? Have you listened to our music lately? Have you looked at our movies that we send all over the world? Have you seen our implements of bronze and iron for six years? I was national council with... One of the largest defense contractors in the country, headquartered in Reston, Virginia. It was a multi-billion dollar company. We send war armaments all over the world to both sides of every conflict. We send a music and a message. We are a culture that frightens me. But there is always the hope that God will send us a revival. Here is the song of the city of man Aden, Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. I've killed a man for wounding me, a child for striking me. Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, Lamech's is 77fold. In a day like that, what songs do we sing? Here is a song of Zion, one of our hymns. Does Lamech's song move you? Well, what about this? Man of sorrows, what a name! For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior! Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry, now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew, his song will sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. What song moves your heart? What city do you live in? In this wicked world, we are given a vision of another country, another city. It's not like the city of man, Cain kills his brother and founds his city. Our city was founded by a greater love. Cain lifted up his hand to kill his brother, but our Lord lifted up his hands to suffer death for his brothers that we might have life. The founding is altogether different. The blood is different. Abel's blood cries out for justice. The blood of Jesus cries out for mercy for any who will appeal to that mercy. There is another song. There is another founding. Lamech celebrates the reach of his sword. Seventy seven times I will take my vengeance on anyone who offends me. Does that echo with anyone? Is there another city? In Matthew 21, the evangelist tells us Peter came to Jesus. How many times, Lord, should I forgive my brother? Seven times? and thinking he is so forgiving. Jesus says, no. No, Peter, I'm not saying seven times. You forgive your brother 77 times. The reach of Lamech's revenge is the measure of Christ's mercy for a different city. And we have a different song. It's not totally dedicated to this world. You see, we're cleaved in two as a people, aren't we? There's some difficulty in that. The Bible acknowledges. We have loyalties to the earthly city. And we love justly our earthly city. But our heart's in heaven. We long for that city. There's a hymn that I love that expresses this. It's a British patriotic hymn. It was written by Sir Cecil Spring Rice, was a Christian. It's sung at every state occasion in England. It's beautiful. These are the words. It's called, I Vow to Thee, My Country. It gives voice to that bifurcation that we all feel. We love our country, but our true love is in heaven. The first stanza is about the love of England, or one's country. I vow to thee, my country, all earthly things above, entire and whole and perfect the service of my love. Our country does have claim upon our lives. As you know... The love that asks no questions, the love that stands the test, that lays upon the altar the dearest and the best. The love that never falters, the love that pays the price, the love that makes undaunted the final sacrifice. That's the love that gave us Normandy. The love that will sacrifice our own lives That our compatriots might have liberty. But as the Brits were reminded, there is another country I've heard of long ago. Same country that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were looking for. Most dear to them who know her, most great to them who know. Do you know this city? Do you know the Savior of whom it speaks? We may not count her armies, we may not see her king. Her fortress is a faithful heart, her pride is suffering. How different from the earthly city. And soul by soul and silently, her shining bounds increase. Wherever this gospel of free mercy found at the cross is proclaimed, more and more are finding that citizenship. Every day, by the thousands, this kingdom is advancing. Soul by soul and silently, her shining bounds increase. And now quoting Proverbs 3.17, in all her ways are ways of gentleness, and all her paths are peace. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for our precious Savior who showed us a greater love and laid down his life for us on the cross that we might be made whole and given the hope of heaven and the citizenship of the new Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that we might live as a community of faith in a manner that would be salt and light. We pray for our dear America. We confess the many sins of this generation. We ask your mercy. We ask for revival. Lest we suffer the judgment hand of God. O Lord, grant us mercy instead. Mercy only found in Christ himself, who loved us and gave himself for us and gives us that hope of the heavenly reward. Amen.